right, up and down the coast of California, from San Diego to Sacramento, from the bay to the border, these are the young voices of the Golden State. This podcast tells their stories, the stories of men and women who are fighting for a voice in their communities and all over the country. We're working together in solidarity to rise up as one. From Fusion Media Group, this is The Brave. Welcome to a live edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Felonius Monk. Now, for those of you who are listening at home, because I know y'all think this is a party, there's a reason I'm wearing this headphones, not for you. I'm not going to do some Janet Jackson stuff. Uh, we're recording this, and there are people who are listening at home, and they don't know that I'm seven foot three, so I have to paint the picture for them. So everything I'm saying is going to be a description, and some of you are going to go, hey, this is weird. Why does he keep describing stuff? We can see this is for the people at home. You understand? We, get, we got that? All right, don't make it weird for me. I mean, if you do, we'll talk. Uh, but for those who are listening at home, we are at the Beatnik Studios in beautiful downtown Sacramento, the capital of the Golden State, with a live edition of The Brave. Now, later in the show, we're going to bring back some of our favorite guests that we've had on during the series. So if you're not caught up after the show tonight, make sure that you get caught up. Uh, plus, we're going to bring on Imani Mitchell from Black Women United. She'll join us as well. But first, let me introduce you to me. Yeah, thank you. You can clap for that. That's fine. You're doing the right thing, sir. I like where your head is at. Keep that energy for the rest of the night. I am, uh, I am the host of The Brave, um, but I'm also a stand-up comedian and uh, TV personality. I used to work on the nightly show with Larry Wilmore, which was uh, canceled, unfortunately, right before this election when they needed our black-ass voice the most. Uh, <laughs> I'm also a father of two and a husband of one because in my state it's only legal to be married to one person. Uh, I don't make the rules, I just follow them. And, uh, this is, this is uh, one of those things where, you know, it kind of goes away from what my career is. I'm a stand-up comedian. This isn't necessarily funny, right? But this is still important. You know, my, my uh, grandparents snuck in, they call it, right? And so when we're working with people who are undocumented or marginalized or trans or LGBT, or whatever the issue is, I know firsthand what that pain feels like. When we're working with things like... Um, trying to rehabilitate former inmates or trying to rehabilitate the entire prison system. Those things hit close to home because I wasn't always a well-mannered, nice stand-up comedian. There was a time when I was doing uh, time because I wasn't a good young man. And so when I see these people who are fighting to make it better, not just for themselves, but for other people, and someone wants to allow me to get involved and use my voice and my platform to help, that's important to me. So being here tonight with you guys is more than just a chance for me to entertain. It's a chance for me to use my platform, hopefully do a little bit of good. And maybe when my 20-month-old is 20 years old, he won't have to have a podcast talking about activism because all of this shit will be settled. Is that fair? Yeah. All right. And that brings us to why are we here tonight? Now, we thought it was important to bring together these voices from the podcast who do amazing work about solidarity together in solidarity on one stage. Now, what can we do to make that amazing work that all of them dedicate their lives to an even larger movement? Something that you can be a part of, something more than just the interview on the podcast. So please welcome Yvonne Seha. Bamba Jan Bamba. 
Raida Hamida. And Omekazal Lopez. I told you I wouldn't ruin it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna uh, get you guys to introduce yourselves. Um, let's, let's, let's start down here. Now, for the people who aren't familiar with the work that you guys do, all right? Let's start by introducing yourself, who you're with, and what that company or what your group does. Uh, we'll start right here with you, Ivan. Uh, my name is Ivan Ceja. Uh, I'm an undocumented immigrant, uh, originally from Michoacan, Mexico. And I, uh, thank you. <laughs> and I join, um, I'm with UndocuMedia. I joined the movement in 2009, the immigrant rights movement. And then in 2012, I started to explore using social media and then just digital tech tools uh, to try to reach people um, and stop deportations, literally. Uh, and that's where UndocuMedia was born, um, around the time that DACA uh, became a reality. And then today, UndocuMedia is a nonprofit, and we're reaching about 4 to 10 million people a week uh, advocating intersectionality. <laughs> uh, next to uh, Yvonne's, Yvonne sitting to my left for the people at home, and to his left is Bamba John. Bamba, tell him about yourself, tell him your name and about yourself. And also, uh, by yes, the way, sir. while you guys are saying your names, if I pronounce them incorrectly, correct my pronunciation. Fair? Okay, let's Sounds go. Sounds good. Uh, my name's Bamba John Bamba. I am an undocumented American from the Ivory Coast which is in West Africa. Any Africans in the house? Um, I moved to the country when I was 10 years old with my parents, uh, fleeing political persecution, and we, we landed in the South Bronx to seek political asylum. Um, I'm also an actor and a filmmaker, and uh, a couple of months ago, in September, when Trump decided to terminate DACA, I decided to share my story publicly and announce my status and use my platform as an actor and my voice to help move this immigrant fight forward. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'm, I, I, I'm pretty new to this movement, and all this is new to me, and I'm learning as I'm going, and uh, I'm so grateful to people like Yvonne here and Jose Antonio Vargas and so many others who come out as undocumented and unafraid to um, help move this, this immigrant fight. So... Um, the other thing is I work with Define American, and that's an organization that's shifting the culture through the media and using um, the power of images and of films and TV shows like uh, Superstore and Grey's Anatomy to change the narrative of immigrants in the media, on TV, and in film. So I'm an ambassador for them. Thank you. Next up, next voice you'll hear is Ryder. My name is Raida Hamida. It's actually Raida, and Raida means leader in Arabic. Um, I am proud to say that I am Palestinian. I am a proud Muslim hijabi, and I am a mother of an 18-year-old, a single mom, and a California girl. I was born in Burbank, California. And I uh, work for the state of California as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm here because of my work with Latino Muslim Unity, which I had founded um, 
and introduced the idea to Ben Vasquez, which is my co-founder, where I introduced the idea of bringing Latinos into an area which is an ethnic enclave called Little Arabia to come and have Latinos come and shop and eat in our Arab Muslim owned restaurants because they were our neighbors, but they weren't coming to shop and eat with us. Uh, also to also understand that there's a lot more commonality between our communities. And then it happened to be that there was um, this, this national figure that had been targeting Latinos and Muslims uh, right after the tours. And so it was a perfect time to really like come and rise up as one community and uh, fight back by uh, halal tacos. And so, <laughs> and so basically uh, we brought the idea during Ramadan to uh, have a positive spin off taco trucks at every corner. And so we really just embraced that idea and said, hey, you know what? Um, I wanted to bring Muslims to a Latino restaurant. Ben, my co-founder, said, well, let's take him to a taco truck. And I said, no, let's take the taco truck to the mosque <laughs> and to every mosque. And so I'm here today because of that. Awesome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and I know that's a tough act to follow, but last but certainly not least, <laughs> Oh, made you in last. Yeah, I love ta who loves tacos. I love tacos. I don't know. Viva tacos. My name is Omequetzal Lopez. Uh, Omequetzal means uh, second precious one in Nahuatl. So it's a it's a beautiful name. I was born December the second on the second cycle of the moon, and I was the second child born in my family. Show love. Um, I'm part of Dulce Up Front, which is a constellation of artists um, that work to build community through arts and culture. And we utilize a multimedia approach. So we, do, we like that multi-multi-level. It's multi-generational, multicultural, multi-gender, multi-sexual. Um, and uh, we have a large um, constellation of artists that we work with um, from different parts of the Central Valley. So we got folks from, I'm from Sanger, actually, California. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and many of us uh, that are part of Dulce up front are from rural communities, uh, actually outside of the Fresno area. I am from an uh, immigrant um, family background. My family is from Mexico, um, work the fields. I come from an artist-activist background. My family is in the audience, and so is Dulce up front. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> we're all about celebrating the beauty of our communities. We find that there's a lot of um, um, pain and struggle and trauma that we're working through. And, and with that still, there's a lot of beauty. And our, our approach really is to party with a purpose. So that's, that's it. That's right there. I'm going to let you stay right there. All right. Now, I want to remind everyone here and everybody listening at home um, that if you want to know more about them in depth, that they each have their own episodes on the Brave podcast hosted by uh, me, the Pope's big homie, Felonius Monk. But before we go any further, I, want to, I wanted to say all four of you and your, um, got it? Uh, all four of you on your episodes, you talked about the importance of being visible. Right? Not just for undocumented, just being visible and meeting people where they are. 
Um, Yvonne, you use social media. Bamba, you're an actor. Uh, you do movies. Uh, writer, you're using food. Thank you. I love food. And Ome, you just throw dope-ass parties. Like, you know, and I, 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 do, I do stuff on TV. Everybody doing their part. Uh, <laughs> But what's the, what's the purpose of doing it the way that you're doing it versus conventional activism? And I'd like to start with you for this question, Ryder, specifically because you also do work directly in government. How is the work that you do outside of the government different than the work that you're doing in or within the government? So I do a lot of casework, and I'm the labor deputy and health deputy um, at a state uh, assembly office and basically it's very different because a lot of the work that I do is social work um, and I transcend a lot of the social work aspects of healing and rebuilding in the work that I do as an activist outside of the office and so I realized you know everyone when you saw what was going on with the Muslim ban they went straight to the airports and everybody's like fighting and everyone's looking in one direction looking at a speaker on the mic and there was a disconnect for me because they go home nobody gets to know one another and you're fighting but then you go home you don't even know your neighbor that's Latino you don't even know your neighbor that's Muslim. You don't even know your neighbor that's an African-American or uh, LGBT. And I felt that we wanted to create a space where we can all have those conversations afterwards, right? It's kind of like a debrief, right? right. But more than that, like really nurturing the soul mm -hmm. and finding a a place that everybody can belong so you know one of the things that i've always been passionate about is fighting with communities alongside communities that are experiencing injustice but this is not just about marginalized communities this could be the white community with social issues with lgbt or this could be the socioeconomic issues and so everyone that came to our events were ordinary people. They weren't, many of them for the most part actually, were apolitical. They weren't even part of unions, right. they weren't part of the activist scene. Um, so we were really reaching uh, a community that's been sidelined by all of these activists and all of the progressives and people came together and were able to lower their guards and get to know one another over food, right? Mm -hmm. And over like halal tacos, I remember one person one of the Trump supporters like, am I gonna convert to Islam by eating this halal taco? <laughs> I was like, yes. do you convert? <laughs> yes, you do are. you convert to Judaism when you have a kosher hot dog? Right. <laughs> He's like, no. And like, it's the same concept. It's just, yeah, it's just prepared in adherence to Islam. And so he's like, okay, let me see what the magic's all about. He literally said that. Mm. And he came around with like six tacos. <laughs> That's, uh, and I didn't challenge him, and it wasn't about politics anymore. It was just like, oh my God. We're, yeah, tacos, tacos aren't political, man. If you don't no, like, don't, you I don't care who you political, are. You know, if you want to put a flag yeah. on it, but. Right. <laughs> that that was uh, for those at home. That's uh, that was Ryder right Hamida. Um, oh man, I want to I want to talk to you about what you do, very specifically because there's this idea of 
you can take the arts and do whatever you want to and we can call that activism, but what you're doing is something completely different. You're having parties and calling it activism. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna say this, I'm on That's your side. Cheating. I'm on your side, <laughs> I agree. Because every now and then I want to party in the name of justice. <laughs> For reals. But how, how, would you, how would you describe, how would you answer a naysayer who says, you know what, she's just using this as an excuse to turn up and she's calling it activism. You're right. What, what right. do you say to that person? Well, it's not making me rich, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so maybe I got to try something else now. So um, I'm just going to say the word pinche. I know that's a bad word. Now, you, you, heard, uh, you heard all these people in the audience screaming and shouting because of the word pinche, and it's like it's a derogatory term, right? Mm -hmm. But for like Chicanos, it's like an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. And I say that because six years ago, Dulce Up Front started producing these events called Pinche. It's a 21 and over party. The beautiful thing about it, one, it's multimedia. We have DJs, bands, live artists, art shows at the same time, Loteria happy hours, those types of things. And um, it's 21 and over, but what you see there is you see a mix of people that are 21 all the way to the age of 80 at these events that are 21 and over. Our thing was about what you were saying earlier is about meeting people where they're at. So what we do is we have artists that are, that are, you know, that are shooting out cultural things on the projector screen. We have imagery that is political, it is conscious. On the stage, we have artists that are performing, whether it's a DJ or a band that is um, performing music that is cultural but also political. Mm -hmm. So it's about finding that uh, connectivity. And, and that's what we do. We try to connect people to each other. I see it in, because in, I come out of the rave scene, right? And where are my ravers at? Hey! So I come out of this old school rave scene, and at that time, for a lot of youth, a lot of Chicano youth, Southeast Asian youth, black youth, white youth, it was a time for us to be able to find each other and celebrate through the art of music, right? Um, in this sense, for me, I see it as a space for be people to be able to not just socialize, but to connect and be politicized in a way that is digestible for people. Mm. Right? That's so it's about, it's about being digestible. And in the region that we live in with the Central Valley, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people working through their own traumas in the sense of which they may be disengaged or disillusioned and they don't want to participate in the political sphere, right? Um, they're not interested in going to protest or to organize at that particular moment. So when people are in isolation, they're less likely to connect. I'm sorry, but social media just isn't enough. Right? We need to get out and be out and break bread with each other and party with each other. And in that way, then, then there's, there's, there's connections, mm -hmm. trust. If I can dance with you, then I can also talk to you yeah. about something that's affecting both of us and come together. And for those at home, you, you just heard Ome Lopez, and I really just want to end this now and go to a party with her <laughs> and, eat, and eat some halal tacos. But yes, oh my God, we should totally that. collaborate. We, but we, have to, we need to talk and put that together, right? We had the taco truck outside of the, we'll figure it out. Yes. Uh, but you can't I, I do dance wanna, at the mosque, though. You can't do that. No. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, you could do, you we'll, figure we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. 
I want to say to uh, the entire panel, too, by the way, when uh, any of these questions, if, you, if someone says something and you want to jump in, uh, you don't have to wait for me. This isn't a classroom. I, you don't need permission, of course. Say whatever you need to say. Um, but I do want to keep it moving for just a second because you said something very interesting about social media um, not being enough. Um, I, I'm not trying to hate. I, no, 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 no. That's what, <laughs> I, no, I'm not. I, I wanted to be clear because it's, it's this is a multi-pronged <laughs> approach, right? Like these are all things that we have to do. And it's why it's really good to have this diverse group uh, on stage. But, you know, for a lot of people who are listening in this audience and listening at home, they're like, okay, these are all cool things that they're doing, but these aren't things that I can do. Right? What are some things that they can do? And I, I want to kind of bring that to you, Yvonne, because what you have done with Undocumedia is just amazing. You took a tool that already existed and that people were using for vanity, and you were able to use that for activism in this really smart way. Like, how do you, what would you tell someone who's like, hey, I want to get involved. I don't know what I can do. What are my next steps? What would you say? So I agree. I think uh, social media isn't enough. And I tell people, mm -hmm. I think I'm a really good social media organizer because I started as a grassroots organizer at 17. And whenever I'm looking for answers, I think I find them at rallies. I find them showing up at events where people are coming together. Um, and all we have done now is how do we go ahead and um, change that up and use social media and those tools um, in a way that complements it um, and amplifies it. So. Um, I got a big um, idea around social media when uh, I was 17 and I was stopping a deportation of one of my friends. Mm -hmm. And we took that idea of going, we started going to churches um, and we started collecting signatures um, to stop at his deportation. And then we launched a petition on change.org. And then suddenly change.org hits us up and says, hey, we want to put it on the front of our homepage. And at that time, at least, I think that was really what set the standard for other uh, deportation campaigns online uh, because we collected 15,000 signatures, uh, because we were able to share his video and his story um, in people all across the country. We literally had people who were mailing us sheets of paper with signatures from so many different states because they saw the YouTube video and they said, hey, um, my, my little group at the church, we collected these. We don't want, we don't want Ricardo to get deported. Um, and then when DACA came about, um, that's really what started on DocuMedia for me because I probably received DACA as one of the first beneficiaries. Um, I had it within seven weeks of applying when the program ruled out. And I did a presentation where we had a room of uh, families um, almost twice as big as this group. And I thought I was gonna go in there, we were gonna be sharing our stories around DACA, and the reality was they were here to listen to me and make sure that it was okay to apply. They wanted to see that work permit. They wanted to hear from somebody first before they took that risk. Mm. And it really opened my eyes to this idea of what's going on here. Uh, the program has rolled out for seven weeks. Um, why haven't they taken advantage? And then suddenly I understood, you know, we believe that just because we're in California, um, like we have access to all the resources, but we don't realize that uh, being undocumented, even, even in California, uh, was, you know, people didn't have the money. Uh, people were afraid. And um, also, uh, they didn't have the resources. So I created a Facebook group, and that's how Undocumedia was born. Suddenly, all these people were adding each other from across the country. And I think it was really impactful because um, somebody in Alabama or Georgia who has a much harder time coming out of the shadows doesn't have to drive three hours to an attorney, perhaps, who's going to uh, take advantage of them for a mm -hmm. simple question. They can now pose that question in the group. 
And then we started realizing, wait, you know, um, if we create a group and they join it, they're outing themselves. So how do we do that where they can follow our information without outing themselves? Because uh, people are in different levels, like you mentioned, meeting them where they're at. So we created a Facebook page and then an Instagram account uh, because around this idea that we're always struggling to flyer, and I believe flyering, posting posters, and all those traditional means are necessary to fill a group of 30 people. But if we could do what all the big other channels are doing with all this other content and have 300,000 people follow a movement, filling up that room with 300 people is not going to be a problem. Uh, so I think that's exactly how it's evolved mm -hmm. to the point where now we're so, uh, helping each other uh, in a new way for me. Um, it's scary for me uh, what we did, though. At one point, I realized, are we hurting them more than helping them or uh, by making people believe that social media is, is, is just all there is or enough. Mm -hmm. um, and we started challenging people to invest in one another. Uh, so one of the things we did recently, we've been sharing campaigns to raise money for mothers who maybe need that, uh, a surgery because they're fighting cancer. And we've been able to raise $10,000 in 24 hours. Um, thank you. Um, and for me, what, what really inspired me was one of my friends from Arizona uh, calls me one day and he says, hey, I need to come up with $4,000 by tomorrow because uh, he only has vision in one eye. So the one eye he has, if he didn't get surgery by the next day, he was going to lose his sight. And then um, we said, don't worry, we, ha we got you. And that's what we've always said. Even when the answers aren't always clear, we find a way. Uh, we were able to raise 4,000 in 30 minutes. So again, it's like where the system has failed us, uh, we can use these tools. Uh, we can use these tools to solve our problems. I think, uh, and that, again, for the people at home, uh, not for you guys, because you all saw and heard uh, Yvonne Seha, it's, it's been amazing. But for the people at home, that was Yvonne Seha. And I want to um, continue that conversation, but I want to add Bambajan to the conversation. Bamba, you, you did something that I thought was really interesting. You didn't have to come out, right? You had a, a certain type of privilege where you, you, you had your career, you're doing well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Bambajan was uh, in this small independent film called, uh, was it? The, um, the Panther? Black the Black Panther? Something? I don't know if you had heard of it. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's, some, it's a black movie. It's a, I think it was on BET or something. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't, that wasn't like his first acting credit. Like I, I, you, if, you, if you know what IMDB is and you go to it, he's got a bunch of, a bunch of credits. So he's, getting a, you know, he's so rich that if you can't see these at home, but you can see them here, these shoes are the whitest shoes. <laughs> that I've, I don't think that they're really white. I think they're clear. Shoe, and I've seen, I've been with him since Friday basically, and they've been exactly that white. There's not a spot. Oh, those are religious shoes. You understand me? <laughs> they have um, vibranium but, all over. <laughs> <they have> vibranium. <laughs> but I, I want to talk to you about that, about what, what it takes to get involved. And like you said, you just kind of started getting involved back in, yeah. in the fall. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you say to someone who's afraid, who's not willing to, who has a lot to lose, for example? Like, yeah. it, you know, things could have changed. Yeah. All of a sudden, maybe you're not getting roles anymore because sure. you, can't, you said something. What do you say to that person who's afraid? Um... Well, first, I want to ask Yvonne, how did you get biometrics, uh, work permit in seven weeks? Because nobody that was happened? applying. Yeah, nobody was applying. <laughs> That's why. Hold up, you applied <laughs> and you got it in seven weeks? Yeah. I mean, y'all, the application is not an easy application. I mean, it takes a while to go get fingerprinted, to pay the money, to prove that you've been here. But yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Right now, it's taking six months. 
So um, that's huge. So, so back to your question. Uh, the, the one thing I really want to tell people is like, it's, it's case by case basis, right? Because when, when I decided, oh, I want to share my story and go, go out publicly, I had to wait you know, the options and the consequences. And I really had to sit with the fact that, look, if I share my story and things don't go my way, I may end up being deported. I may end up being separated from my family. Now, is that something that you're willing to do? You're willing to face? So that's a very serious question that everyone should take very seriously. Um, the second thing I would say is, when I decided to share my story publicly, I talked to my family. I talked to those who are close to me, those people that I trust. And I told them, you know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what God's putting in my heart. Oh, yeah. And I talked to God. I was like, Lord, you know, I'm about to do this. It's, it, you put this, this, um, this, this feeling in my spirit like I need to do more. And, um, and then I started looking for different organizations. There's a lot of organizations out there who are supporting undocumented people when they're sharing their stories. I mean, Define American is, is, is one of the premier ones. If you go to defineamerican.com, you could see hundreds of stories of people who decided to, to, to share their status publicly. And what that does, at least what it did for me, is... Um, as an actor, right, mm -hmm. using my platform, mm -hmm. I, I've been in a lot of people's homes on mm -hmm. TV shows that people love, movies that people love. So they never imagine or even think that someone who's on TV can be undocumented. So when I shared my story, people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It shattered all their stereotypes. You know, they're like, oh, my God, I thought it was only a Latino problem. Oh, my God, how can you be so successful and yet you still have this issue? So it goes to show that the system is broken. It goes to show that there's a face that you could put on the issue. It goes to show that there's families, there's real lives, there's real people. And, and sharing our stories really moves the conversation forward and it wins hearts over. And, 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 and it moves the political clock forward, I believe. So I encourage everyone to share their stories and do it loudly, but do count the consequences and, and try to get partners so that you're not alone in doing it. I want um, to... Uh, and again, for the people at home, that was Bamba John Bamba. I, I, when, I very, when I first met Bamba John, I, I walked up to you. I remember the first thing I said to him was, I've, been, I've wanted to meet you because your story means something to me. And he said something that I think is really important. We see uh, immigration as this one specific issue that it's, it's only undocumented Latinx, and it's not. It's, it's, it's Africans. When, when this happened, and I remember some black people saying to me, why, are, why do we care? It's not us. It's, it's Arabs. It's, it's uh, Korean. Mexicans. Korean. It's Koreans. It's not me. And I remember thinking, it was me, it was my grandparents, it was Ethiopians sneaking in this country in the middle of a war, it was Somalis sneaking in this country in the middle of a war, and Sudanese running from uh, refugees. And so when, to hear you tell your story, to have someone my complexion or darker tell that story, who looked like me, who came from where I came from, it, it meant something to me. And so part of what I say when people say they're afraid is we all are, right? right? But when you, by you coming out, 
it made me feel more comfortable in what I was already doing, and it made me say, okay, I can do more. Yes, I can take another day or two away from my kid to come out here because somebody else needs to hear that story, right? And so to have a big name and a big face or someone who's in, on a grassroots level doing it or someone who's putting a party together or someone who finds a way to take delicious tacos <laughs> to the mosque. <laughs> Y'all don't understand, food makes me emotional. Uh, but I, I just want to, I, I want to say that it, I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this because you're attacking this issue from so many different angles. Um, but I, I want to take a second uh, and bring up one more guest, if that's okay with you guys. Is that cool? Uh, I just met, I just met this young lady upstairs about an hour before we started, and I was blown away by her as a person her character, her personality, and her commitment to making things better, not just for black women, but for people in general. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage my very new friend, Miss Imani Mitchell. Sup? Sup? <laughs> I'll do the same thing that I did with everyone else. Uh, you want to introduce yourself and, you know what, nope, let's do it differently. Oh no. <laughs> you are Imani Mitchell. True. You started an organization, Black Women United. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it seems that, and we talked about this, it seems that BWU started because there was a lack of uh, inclusion for black women, right? Absolutely, yeah. Why do you think it's difficult to organize and be inclusive outside of our, our own boxes? Like, why, very specifically for black women, why do black women seem to be the group Oftentimes it just gets ignored or is asked to just kind of take their issues and blend them in with everyone else's. Absolutely. I mean, I think for a lot of people, um, it's easier to focus on the issues that pertain to you. And I think that that's a very natural thing. Um, but for black women, we've found this isolation, not only within the women's movement and women's rights, but also within our own black community, mm -hmm. um, dealing with black men and patriarchy and things like that. So. With Black Women United, it was important for us to literally say, we're no longer asking for a seat at your table, we're creating our own table, and this is how we run things here. Um, um, and so with that came a lot of autonomy, especially, and also I'm the president, so I also I can make decisions about you know, the message and the mission and all of that. Um, but it also meant that we were trans-inclusive. It also meant that we were leaving none of our sisters behind and we were unapologetic about that. Um, so, like I said, creating your own table also means that you create your own rules and we just keep moving forward. So. Well, thank you for that. Um, now, all right, I, I'm trying to have fun, but this part isn't fun and we have to deal with stuff that isn't fun when we're talking about activism, yes? Um, and, and everyone in this room knows that Sacramento was the home of Stephon Clark, 22-year-old um, unarmed man who was killed by police in his grandparents' backyard. How have you seen the community in Sacramento respond to that? Like, you know, I'm on the East Coast. This is my first time in Sacramento. Lovely city you have here, by the way. Um, but we only see what's on TV. And, and I remember I was in Ferguson, and I very specifically remember leaving Ferguson and people telling me what happened because they saw it on TV. And I was going, that's, that's not 
what happened at all. So I've been very careful not to say what I think happened. But what have you seen here? What do you think about the reaction from the community versus how you've seen it portrayed on TV? Absolutely. I mean, Sacramento, we're known as being one of the most diverse cities um, in the nation. And so for a lot of people, it was it was shocking. Um, for a lot of us, it wasn't shocking. Um, and then we were all put into this like national space where it was on CNN, it was on The Breakfast Club, it was everywhere. And it was like, this is our city and people are talking about our city like this is this is beyond us. Um, and so I've seen a lot of different organizations sort of scramble and come together and what are we going to do and what does this look like and what's the agenda? Do we want justice? Do we want real reform, policy change? All these different you know, heads at the table. Um, and we just found out too that the two officers that killed um, Stefan Clark have been reinstated and back on the force. So there's a lot of this that kind of plays out over and over again. Um, and it, you know, it can seem a little bit disheartening, obviously, at times. Um, but I will say within the community, I've seen a lot of solidarity. I've seen a lot of youth. I've seen a lot of um, solidarity amongst like black and, black and brown communities that's been really, really uplifting and inspiring. And people who have never decided to come out have like come out and know that something needs to, to change. So I'd say overall, it's been through tragedy, we've kind of come together. Um, but still reform needs to obviously happen. Can I say something about, so we're talking about Black Women United. We're, we're talking about how Black women are often overlooked, not included, and we found a way to bring the murder of a Black man, though we are in Sacramento and it's very important, but we found a way to still, at least for a second, center that, that specific situation. Um, do you see the same level of community support when it's a woman, when it's the woman being dragged to the Waffle House, when it's Rakia Board, when it's Sandra Bland? And I'm saying that because I don't. And so I'm asking, what do you think we can do? Yeah. You know, Black Women United, brown people in this room, men in this room, what can we do to be more supportive? Because very, very clearly, every time a black man is shot, I see a black woman. And very rarely, when a black woman is shot, I, see, I, I often see black men saying the exact same things that white men say about black men being shot. What was she doing? She shouldn't have, where was her husband? Why was she out there? And so I'm, I'm asking you, what can we do to change that? How can we turn that around? Because that's depressing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, we, f we feel at Black Women United that at the end of the day, if nobody else stands with us, we stand with us. And so that's really important to us. We spend a lot of time trying to often educate people and come on, please, please show solidarity, please. And some people, you just, you'll end up exhausted. You'll end up drained trying to gain allyship that just maybe is not going to come. Um, but I do think that there are some people who are out there and who want to learn and want to be engaged and want to help. Um, but it's, it's, it's so, dis it, like you said, it is disappointing. There is that disparity. Um, and like I said, we get killed too. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but um, I think supporting uh, black female leadership 
um, also just women of, of color in general, that, um, that type of leadership. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great work, some who are all sitting up here, and following those people and what they're doing. Money helps too. Um, and showing up for those demonstrations, for those events, I think is, is one way. So. I, now, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to Stefan Clark, but I think just as a jumping off point for the larger conversation, what, what do you want to see happen? What, you know, is there anything, if there, is there a takeaway from this that's positive? Is there anything that we can gain? You've said there's been solidarity, there have been people who came out who didn't come out before. What would you like to see as the next thing from that? Um, I have seen a lot of folks, people of color, we kind of walk this line of respectability like we think if we dress a certain way and if we look a certain way and we talk a certain way, we're less likely to be profiled, less likely to be killed, what have you. And we had a lot of that respectability going on in Sacramento, partly because the capital's here um, and there was like that weird division. And I think for a lot of folks, the respectable folks who thought, oh, but if I drive this car and if I live in this neighborhood, they'll never come after me, were like, oh, they'll come after me, like none of us are safe. And so in that way, like I said, I've seen like the folks who were out who like to organize on the streets and the folks who like to write bills and show up at the Capitol and city council meetings finally come together. And I think that's really great, so. I, um, I wanna bring the rest of the panel back. Um, and we did a magic trick for the people who are in this room. They didn't go anywhere, but for the people at home, <laughs> what you don't know is they were so polite and respectful during the segment that they sat right here on the stage beside <laughs> me and you didn't know they were here. So I would like for you guys to get back involved. Um, and, and any of the things that we just discussed, um, whether it be Stefan Clark, whether it be uh, people not being included, I, would, I also would like to hear um, from, from the women other ways that maybe we're not um, supporting you. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to make this weird for anybody, but as these groups go, there are these intersections that we don't get involved in. I know I've done this before, I'm a black man, and sometimes that ain't my business, right? But it, but it has to be, right? Because if Yvonne's not gonna get free if I'm not helping him get free, and Imani's not gonna get free if I'm not helping her get free. And so we can't ignore these things, and I can't be the voice for all of it either. So I have to be able to listen. So very specifically for the women who seem to get listened to last, often, can you be first? What ways can we, you know, and not just the three of us, but what ways can we community-wise hear better? I, as a... This um, is Ryda speaking, by the yes. way. I, I'm, I'm a single mom, mm -hmm. and I think that we forget that there are stigmas for women in general, but there's even more stigmas for women of color, and then there's more stigmas for women that are divorced and single moms that are activists. And I think that one of the things that I have heard over the years being a woman leader, Muslim, um, you know, why do you think you have the right to lead? And it's disheartening because I did all the dirty work for the community. I was a social worker. I did. You know, I reunified families, I worked on uh, suicide interventions, um, 
you know, child welfare, issues with domestic violence, and yet I wasn't allowed to uplift my community and empower women or businesses because I wasn't a man. And I was not only not a man, I was a woman that was a single woman that didn't have a husband. And I found that really important to recognize even when I'm working with activists that are young women because we're fighting in the fight with them, right? And we could be Latina, we could be Asian, we could be LGBT, but there's just like this misunderstanding with like our responsibilities. Um, and so we're fighting, but I'm still worried about my rent. I'm still worried, is my son going to school? You know, he's, he's you know, being neglected. I have to worry about my state job. I still have to worry about presenting myself as this person that could keep it all together. Um, and then male leaders that are social justice leaders are disempowering me because they're like, you should reprioritize. <laughs> they're like telling me that I need to fix first the fact that what I really need is a husband. Oh. You know, I've heard this by Latino men, like not just Arab men, yeah. you know, and I feel like they disempower us, but they also dehumanize us as women because there are single men that are fathers um, and they are activists and they don't have to I don't. express I don't. No one, no, one, no one has ever asked me at any point. I have a 13-year-old daughter from a previous marriage. No one has ever asked me, do I spend enough time with her? Exactly. I have a 20-month-old at home right now. I fly all over the country, and no one has ever asked me. Not one person has ever said, who's taking care of your baby while you're here? But absolutely, if my wife disappeared for two days to do something that was important to her and important to her community, there would be all types of judgments and questions. And that's, that's the first step is that we're not viewing you as an as, equal. As an equal. Not even with just men, but even with women mm -hmm. that are not single right. parents and that are not married. If you and had a husband, you wouldn't be out here in these streets I doing this. I would be this. more That's respected. Right. And then I have to... Um, That's crazy. I, I actually don't ask for permission to lead, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I don't ask for permission to lead. I don't ask to kiss anyone's ring. No gatekeepers are gonna hold me back. And I think that creating that opportunity for myself then creates opportunity for other women mm -hmm. that are being you know, pushed aside and said they're not good enough or they're not the model minority, right? Um, and so I feel like it's really the, not just our male allies responsibility but even our female ally responsibilities to to really stop and think about do they transfer some of that um you know expectation of like oh we expect her to be an emotional mess 
You know, mm. we expect her not to hold her stuff together when she's organizing. And then if I do get aggressive, oh, she's, 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 she's broken, you know? Like, she's holding everything together, and so we have to feel for her. But no, no, I'm a fighter, and there are many women that are fighting patriarchy, but there's internalized, like, there's internalized misogyny even with women. Mm. And so, like, it's really sad to talk about social justice when we're not fighting the injustice of misogyny and we're trying to fight for black lives matter and and women's equal rights for equal pay but we're being minimized constantly and we're being even told how cute she thinks she can be empowered or she can leave this movement oh i'll let her speak like that is a social construct that we need to deconstruct and we need to start uh, redefining what it is to be a leader. You don't have to say that I'm a woman leader. Mm. You don't have to say that I'm a, like I hate saying that I'm a single mom, but I say it so that women that are single mothers know that they have the same right to be up here with us mm -hmm. that everybody else does. <laughs> and I was just, I wanted to get Ome, I wanted to ask Ome something. I have my only experience with parties and promotion. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost exclusively a boys club. And except <laughs> when there's a, a ladies night, right? A ladies event. And, and so I say that to say, just even in the broader, this whole conversation is, um, you know, women asking permission to get involved, asking permission to lead. Have you had any of that in, in just putting these parties together where people are like, well, who is your, you know, who's your DJ going to be? Who's your, like, like, you're not capable of doing it. Has that been your experience? Or did you just say, kiss my ass, I'm going to do it anyway? <laughs> uh, I feel well, like you would well, kiss my <laughs> I feel like you the type to just be like, I ain't really trying to hear all that. See, I'm in a funny little spot. I'm in like a rock and a hard place. So I don't actually identify with the gender. I'm, I'm not... Gen, I'm just so like genderly, yeah, yeah, you know. Good. I, like, I, I really, I really feel we need to get to a place where we like tear gender apart, mm -hmm. just tear it all up, throw it in the trash, you know, because we. This is like. The whole thing around, like, there's like multiple, like, it's like we're talking about the universe, y'all. Like, we're over here on Earth trying to nitpick on, like, female, male, mm -hmm. man, woman, when we got, like, multiverses, multi-galaxies, and we're over here being bothered by this whole, you know, man, woman thing. When I, I get, I, it's, yeah, I, I really feel because, and I, I know you, you brought me back to kind of like the, as a female, you know, the, I'm a DJ, kind professional of. DJ, MC, you know. Kind of, but I kind of knew you were going to go there. I was going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my yeah, notes. Yeah, you know, I really, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is a, it is a struggle. Um, it took me 18, I've been DJing for 18 years, and it is, um, it, it was quite challenging. I was a novelty when I first started DJing out and producing events. I got into a place where people used to say, like, you're, the, you're, the, you're a cool girl DJ, and now I'm just, like, dope. Good DJ. Like, whatever. I, I would try DJ. to own that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I respect other artists as well. But, but I really want to get to kind of, like, bringing it back a little bit on this thing around gender. I, I feel like because I don't identify, I'm, like, this two-spirit, 
trans, non-gender conforming, gender fuck situation. Like, if we can get to a place where we can not just like accept, but honor and celebrate the, the power of like our trans sisters of color, if we can get to that and, and, and um, men, like we can really, it's just, that's the most, I feel that when we get in this terms of like talking about gender, mm-hmm. when we can get there, not, I'm not, it's, it's honor, it's like, it's like, it, it's just. And we do know that there are cultures those, yeah. that, that do honor. There are. There are like we act like this is such a weird they are. construct, but there are absolutely cultures in other parts of the world that honor what we call trans or what we call uh, um, uh, honor. But they don't just look at them like, oh, they have their their little area. This is something they have a special word that's not derogatory, that's not mistreated. So this is this is something that can be learned. This is something that can be taught, and we're choosing to be this way now. Um, I, I want to say this because we, we could be here all night uh, and we probably shouldn't. Uh, but I, I want to say this because the four of you work very hard in very different ways and you take a lot of risks in different ways. Yvonne, for example, because you, your platform is, is on social media, you have to deal with trolls and you have to deal with people's, you know, go back to where you came from. And you don't, they're anonymous, right? And then, Bamba, you, what you're talking about is a career that you've wanted since you were, you know what I mean? This is what you've always wanted to do and you put that at risk, right? And then now you're an ambassador, so you've got to travel. And I just saw you in Chicago and now we're in Sacramento and tomorrow you'll be in, and, and right, the same thing. Like you're on one side, there's your professional life, but there's this other place where it could intersect with what you're doing activists outside of work and that could cost you. Same with you, like all of these, all of these things are happening and there's stress and you, like you said, I got to pay bills, I got to make sure that my kids are okay and you know, all of these things have to be taken care of. How do you, separate from activism, how do you not go crazy? What is your self-care? How do you tell people because we're stressed? The news is trash every day and you have to get up in the morning and make your kid feel like the world's gonna keep going. You know, the, you have kids, yes? You have kids, I have kids, you have kids, and Yvonne, your family, your whole family is here, right? So this is, we're not here alone. We can't just go and close the door and, how do you deal with that? I'm gonna answer this question, but really concisely, it's very hard for me, because I'm Palestinian, but. (laughs) Um, You don't do it at one time. You know, you compartmentalize everything, Mm. and sometimes just being a woman it's hard. Like, I got my period today in, at 2 o'clock, and I was like, I need a rest. I need a rest for I three wait a minute. hours. And did y'all just applaud her cycle? Is that what just happened? That's what's <laughs> like, I got my period so, today. I mean, boop, 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 boop. just don't do it at one time. That was it. I'm done. That's my favorite thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so I got my period today at 2 o'clock. <laughs> Go uterine line, bro. Rest. I called Ragu and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be there like two hours late <laughs> if you want me there. <laughs> wow. Um, if, if I can follow that up. <laughs> Did you too get your period, Bob? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not yet. No. Um, <laughs> so for me, right, it's, it's my daughter, right? I have a 15 month old daughter. And um, 
Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not quite a period, but okay. It's, it's not a period, but <laughs> I, 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 I feel, I've changed a lot of diapers. Um, it's just when, when, when you're raising a child, and then we were talking about women, and when you're raising a daughter, it's, um, you know, you just start looking at the world a lot differently. You're like, wow, you know, I have this human being to, to, to guide, to lead. Um, and for me, I, I kind of go home and get on the floor and start playing with her and get goofy and really enjoy, you know, she doesn't speak yet. She's just like goo goo gaga. So, and a few words here and there and just enjoy being silly with her because she doesn't care that what movie I was on or who I was hanging out with. She just wants to spend time with her dad. Um, That, that's really been a great way for me to ground myself. And, and also, I mean, God has, has been so grateful to me um, I always remember that I'm from a small village in Ivory Coast called Mont, and there's millions of people who would love to have the opportunity just to come to America and to have this career that I have. It's like a, a dream come true. So when, when I start losing myself, I kind of remember that. I remember all of them. I remember everything that I represent and uh, just keep giving God grace, you know. Thank you. Anyone else? Don't nobody smoke weed. Cool. All right. uh, I'm just saying we in California. Nobody said, yeah, I go home, put one in the air, get myself together, a little edible, get a full body. But that's fine. I mean, everybody better than me. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to go in order. I'm going to start with you, Yvonne, and this is going to be our final question from, from me. Uh, what's one thing each of you want everyone to do after listening to this episode? Yvonne? Um, I think uh, I've said it in other panels. I think it's just show up for one another. Um, when st- what happened with Stefan Clark happened, uh, First thing we did was I got into connect, uh, contact with someone out here and I said, hey, how can we help you? Even if it's using our platform, how can we just do whatever we can to help you? It's not enough for me to post on social media, hey, Black Lives Matter. Like, what am I intentionally doing to connect to those groups that are leading the work and making it clear, you know, I don't have all the answers and by no means am I the expert on every issue. But um, I want to help, like, you know, amplify the voices um, reaching out to the trans community. I know, like, I'm working right now with Bambi from uh, Trans Latina Coalition. So, you know, it's not enough for me to just put trans is beautiful on my shirt or even buy it and wear it. Like, show up. You know, uh, another thing I've been challenging myself and just re- reframing how we put out our messaging is, you know, the likes are cool, the comments are cool, sharing, uh, but, but show, do something for another group that maybe you're not even affected um, maybe it's the group that you're least affected, uh, the issues you're least affected by, uh, but march with them and, and stand with them. Uh, I think that's, that's the biggest thing I would say. Uh, otherwise, intersectionality doesn't mean anything if you're not really showing up for them. Bambajan? That was Yvonne Seha, Bambajan. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Yvonne is not, not only saying it, but he's done it. Yeah. Like, I was at a March Against Slavery uh, rally or protest in, in LA. He could make it, but he brought some, some of his representatives to be there and support us, and that was huge, you know what I mean? 
Um, along, the sa- along the same lines, I would say, like, be there for each other, but we're, we're all, like, human beings just going through a lot. There's a lot going on. We all have stress. We all have um, bills. We all have families. We all have um, families that are stressing out, going through things. So just try to be there for each other. Like regardless of what your status is or what you, um, what you identify as, like connect with someone um, that maybe you don't know and check in. But for real though, like, yo, <laughs> how are you doing? What's going on? And we, we have this connection with each other and you can just see someone and know that they're going to some, through something. And maybe that word that you give that person of encouragement, of upliftment, of confirmation can be that one that can save their lives. So I would say like, let's, let's really look out for each other because now more than ever, we need each other. I'm still thinking, can you just... Yes, Ome. Yeah, yeah. We're skipping. For the people at home who can't see this beautiful panel, we're skipping. Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) We're going to Ome. I think it is important that we we support and love each other. But I'm going to keep it real, y'all. Like, we all got trauma. We got historical trauma. And you need to deal with your trauma. Like, stop hiding it. Stop putting it in a box. Stop running away from it because it's there and it's going to keep finding you. It's going to keep catching you and it's going to manifest its way into physical ailments and the way that you treat yourself, the way that you treat your family, your parents, your grandparents, your children, your loved ones. You have to face it. Stop and face it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm just saying we need to cut, we need to cut it. All right? That's all, that's all I got to say. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was my new best friend, Ome Imani. Um, Ome. I'm going to, I can't follow that. Um, that's amazing. Because we have people of color, marginal, marginalized people. We have so much trauma that we don't deal with. Mental health, too, is such a big thing. Um, I'll just say for the local folks, since I don't know, are people here from Sacramento? Is this a mostly Sacramento? <laughs> Um, but this is for everybody, obviously. Please get out and vote. Um, and if you're not from SAC, vote wherever you're at, too. So that's, that's just my two cents. If you would, if you would allow me on the vote, because uh, undocumented people can't vote. So we're counting on y'all to vote for us. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's huge. Like, we need y'all to show up. And not only us, but people with criminal records can't vote. And we want more schools, not prisons. And they can't do it, and we need y'all. You know what I mean? So please vote. I, I'm sorry. That I, now I feel bad that I skipped you because <laughs> now you have to follow that. But I mean, I believe if anyone's capable. You know, I'm on my period, so I'm tired. <laughs> You, you are welcome to phone it in on the strength of that. I don't want no problems. Um, so I think most importantly is to remember your intentions when you are organizing. Uh, stay true to yourself and 
If you fall and you organize and you fail, just try again. Um, don't be afraid of failure. Uh, I organize events across the state. Um, and when I was organizing a Rosarito, I, my taco truck guy canceled four hours before the event. Um, and I hustled. And I called another taco truck, and I called 28 different taco trucks. And finally, one guy said, you know, I just hear your voice, and I can't say no to you. <laughs> and so you may fall, and it may hurt, and it might be embarrassing, uh, but you got to get it together and try again. Uh, the most important part of organizing is to remember that people are counting on you. And it really starts from within, you know, like we're talking about these external revolutions, but it really has to start from your heart and remembering, like, why are you doing this? And then don't focus on people. Focus on your goals, because if you focus on what everyone else is doing, you're going to lose sight of your goals. So that was it. And uh, I, I would like to say, because it seems like most of the people in this room and, and a lot of the people who are listening are people who are already involved in activism in some, type, in some way or are trying to be, I, I would like to point out that we're all still in this work human. And sometimes we treat each other as if we're all supposed to be these flawless human beings that can't make mistakes and don't have bad days and, and, and don't have their own problematic behaviors that they're trying to work through and figure out or, or don't have their own traumas that they haven't yet unpacked. And I, I want us to be gentle with each other because we're in that same space getting beat down by the same system. And if we're beating each other up in this fight, we're making it easier for them to continue to oppress us. So be gentle with each other and try to help each other get through these traumas and get through these problematic areas and figure out why you're not yet where you want to be, right? So let's, let's work together, like Bamba John said. And, and, and thank you all for, for being on this panel and allowing me to be goofy with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, bro. Um, and before we finish tonight, we're gonna open the floor up to questions, so if anyone had questions, we're gonna have someone that's gonna bring a mic to you. Uh, questions for the panel. Hi, my name is Lila Contreras. I'm undocumented as well. I'm very apologet unapologetic about it now. Thank you. But I wasn't always unapologetic about it. I lived in the fear of the shadows uh, for a very long time, and one of the huge things that brought me out of the shadows were allies. So I knew that when things got down, they were going to be there for me. They had my back. So my question to you guys is, uh, how's, how has allies played a role in your life in coming out of the shadows and just the work that you do? I think uh, allies are very critical. I'll never forget one of the earliest actions that I ever participated in. I was 18, and we are going to go to Costa Mesa because we were going to be uh, protesting a bill. And we are on the same bus, and I knew who was undocumented. I knew who had papers. But suddenly they all started saying something. They were like, hey, give all your IDs to one person. And for me, it was like, what are they doing? Like, why are we giving all our IDs to one person? I didn't have one, but I mean, those who did. 
And they said, because at this action, none of us are going to have IDs. Like, we're all going to be in solidarity. Um, like, we're all going to be going ahead and doing that together. So it, they can't tell who is. And for me, that was one of those where, like, one of the biggest moments where I realized um, the allies are very critical, uh, especially allies that allow the undocumented uh, voices to be at the forefront of our movement and, and know uh, when we need them to step up and step down. Anyone, anyone want to add? Any, no? Yes? No? Um, I do want to add something. Um, we're talking about Muslims and allies. It's important to understand that Muslims are not monolithic. And so Muslims are African-Americans. They're actually the vast majority of the Muslim population in this country. And so even Stephen Clark, God rest his soul, was a Muslim. And the fastest growing Muslim population in America are Latinos. And the largest Muslim population worldwide are Asians. So when we're fighting for Muslim rights, we're fighting for everyone's rights. And so it's important for the like Black Lives Matter movement to really in include the Muslim community, right? When we're talking about Latino and Muslims, we're talking about Latinos, right? Um, when I unite Latinos and Muslims, I'm not talking about only Latinos that are Mexicans. I'm talking about Afro-Latinos. I'm talking about Asian-Latinos. I'm talking about every Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist. Um, so we have to reestablish what allies means because I think that it's very easy to polarize communities by saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm black, and so I'm fighting for the black community. I'm Muslim, so I'm fighting for, like, the Muslim ban. Um, and that's not fair, because, like, I'm Muslim, but I care about my health insurance. Mm. I'm Muslim, and I care about my student loans. Actually, I was writing my notes on my, like, consolidation <laughs> from the um, Department of Education, and that was what I was doing on the way here, was, was really trying to consolidate my student loans. So we care about those issues. And so when you're fighting for these rights, you have to fight knowing that, like, I don't need people to fight just for the Muslim ban, right? I need you to know that I'm Muslim, and I worry about everything that everybody else here worries about. And so that is when I want to reestablish what do allies mean. Like, let's focus on the issues, not just the people. I, I would say, I would just say, in other words, in other words, uh, they come for me in the morning. Yep. They come for you at night. Exactly. Just what she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's really important because um, your lives are at stake too. I mean, there, there, there's a decision that needs to be made in America right now. Like, are we going to move forward in progress or are we going to move backwards in time in fear? And that affects everybody, papers or no papers. So if you look out for us, we look out for you. We're looking out for each other and for the America that we want to see for ourselves and our children. So, yeah. 
Are there any more questions from the audience? Yes, yes, there we go. Muy buenas noches, good evening. Oh, there it is again. But I, my question more is like, I want to invite you all to create a vision piece. I want to know, you know, when we have our victory party, what are you bringing to the party and who's coming with you? That's a good question. Um, I want to give everybody free tacos. <laughs> Bring that to the party. That's a good, that's a good that's party That's my thing. party. I don't make them. I actually use uh, an authentic uh, model where I would bring the taco truck at the corner, the guy that, you know, more likely he's actually undocumented, empower his business, bring him to the party, work with the local meat market, bring the butcher with us. <laughs> and invite everyone to join and have fun and eat and even dance, so. <laughs> I'm cool with dancing. I'll, I'll do Debka, which is like folklore Palestinian dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? What are you bringing to the party? Oh, I'm bringing plantanos. Plantanos? Uh, plantanos are the, are, are the only, I guess, vegetables that you see in every culture, black or brown. That's fair. Like, we eat plantanos fried, sweet, green, yeah. mashed, boiled, barbecued. <laughs> I mean, plantanos are the business. Did so you, you just did the, you just I, did the just bubble saying. gum. You just did the bubble gum. <laughs> oh, shirt. did I do the bubble gum for plantanos? We're going to have fried plantanos. We're going to have sweet plantanos. going to have stewed plantanos. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think um, I want to bring I want to bring a new dictionary where we don't have words like undocumented to the party because people are people. They're not their documentation, their paperwork. They're just people. But I'm also going to bring some really good injera and some dodo yeah. water. We're going to turn up. What? And she was like, yes, bring that. <laughs> I'll wrap I'm my tacos in injera. Now. Yes. <laughs> That's my next big thing. <laughs> We can take one more question. There's one. Okay, in the back. Awesome. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Migdalia. Um, y'all have done like amazing work. I've seen through social media. And my question to y'all would be, what advice do you give um, the young ones who are growing up right now and watching all this stuff um, through social media and who also want to get involved in this type of work? So I'm talking about like college students, high school students, and not even middle school students who are stepping up to these roles of leadership. Uh, I think I heard what you said. Uh, I, I would say... Um, you, you don't need to ask for permission to do what you feel is in the best interest of yourself, your family, and your community. So. I think that's something we really have to start breaking down, right? That the idea that young people in particular need to ask for anyone's permission, that women need to ask for people's permission, that black people need to be a particular way in public and ask for permission to be the, their natural set. Do what you feel is, if you see something is wrong, and in Islam I know they say if you see something's wrong, you change it with your, first try to change it with your hand. If you can't change it with your hand, you change it with your mouth, you say something. And if you can't change it either way, that way, then you at least hate it in your heart. But young people are oftentimes way more fearless than old people because we're tired and we don't want to try. So go out there and do it. Don't wait. Yep. Uh, can I, I also add to that mm -hmm. answer? Um, 
I think we all stand on the shoulders of giants, every single one of us, right? I mean, I started activism at 12 years old, organizing at an Islamic school, the first student, like, ASB program, the first yearbook, like, oh, God, they're going to have a yearbook. The, like, board was freaking out. They were going to be putting pictures in a book. Um, but you start, of it, you start where you're at, right? But when I say we stand on the shoulders of giants, like, there are people before us that all the, like, Rosa Parks, all she did was say, I don't want to sit in the back of the bus. She was tired. She just didn't want to stand up and sit in the back of the bus. And, like, your activism is just starting with you. And, you know, all of us talk about what it is to be an American and that this country is built on the, what, or, or what we can say as like, this country is built by immigrants, but it's actually not. It's built by the backs of Native Americans and black sisters and brothers. And so we have to always remember that like, we're, we're passing on the torch, right? To the next generation. And none of us that are standing here or sitting here today, I'd like to stand, but I'm tired. <laughs> none of us started on our own. We all needed someone to, to set the stage for us. So. And with that answer, we wrap up our live recording of the most interesting podcast in the world, the Brave. I'm your host, Felonius Monk. You guys have been fan freaking tastic. Now, the Brave Podcast is a project of Fusion Media Group with support from the California Endowment. The Rise Up Be Heard project manager is Jacob Seamus. Uh, the show is produced by. <laughs> All right, I'm laughing because I say this man's name wrong eight times before I say it right. And I know how to say Ragu Manavalan, but I'm going to say it wrong anyway just because my brain saw it and it's going to reflexively do it wrong. But the show is produced by Ragu Manavalan. Our executive producer and new papa is Jonathan Hirsch. And Fusion's executive director of audio is Mandana Mofidi. Special thanks to Fusion Stephen Keppel and Maricela Rodriguez of the California Endowment. And to the recording engineers at AudioLink LA helping us out at the Beatnik Studios. I am the host of the most interesting podcast on earth, and I am the most interesting podcast host. In the world, I'm Felonius Monk, and you guys have been fantastic here live. Thank you for listening here today, and thank you for listening at home. I've been, I've been extremely attractive for 16,425 days in a row. And I've taken no days off. I was sick one time and posed for some selfies. <laughs> Let me tell you.
best sick guy. Like, it's nothing. It's nothing. 